0: Thanks, Allison. You got Scythian close to right? Is it Scythian or Scythian? It's Scythian, it's Scythian so you're, you're close. Good effort, though. A for effort. Um, so yeah, we're back in the book of Colossians, just like we were last week. Um, we're in the text. That immediately follows what we were in. And uh, where we're at is this Colossian church, right? It's trying to navigate first century Christianity. It's trying to navigate what it looks like to follow Jesus um, in the first century. And they're still a jacked up church. They're still a messed up church. They still need a lot of help. And so that's why Paul wrote them this letter. Um, And so for us tonight, what we're going to look at, um, there's a big chunk here, so we're just going to get right into it. And uh, what we're going to see tonight is we're going to get into a um, Paul's going to expose uh, the reality of our frail egos. And what he's going to do is he's going to do what he always does, and he's going to compare, right? He's going to put two things side by side, and he's going to compare the two. And um, uh, he's going to uh, kind of expose the deficient and illog- and how deficient and illogical it is that this church, this Colossian church, would seek renewal and spiritual fulfillment outside of the gospel, um, and, and and try and live their lives outside of the gospel. And so these two things we're going to look at is they're going to be two lists, all right? They're going to be two distinct lists. I heard that, Blazer. Two distinct lists, and, um, and it's going to be, they're really just implications of what, what two different lives look like. It's going to be two different implications in two different lives. Um, One of them is going to be death. One of them is going to be death and it's going to be harm. And it's going to be death and harm wrought by individualism, autonomy, and self identity. And so the other is going to be life and harmony and it's going to be produced by a people, a community whose identity is in Christ. So one is. Self-identity, harm, and death. And the other is an identity in Christ, which is life and flourishing and renewal. And so I want to read the whole chunk this time. Uh, Allison read the middle part, but I want to read the whole chunk and I want you to pay attention kind of where the break point is. All right, the, the, the first, about uh, I think five or six verses is, is, the, is the, the harm, all right? It's the death, it's the self-identity. And the second half is the, the life and it's the renewal and it's what a life lived in Christ looks like, all right? And so we're going to read verses 5 um, all the way through verse 17, all right? Colossians 3, 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, in these, you too once walked when you were living in them, But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is no Greek, no Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. "...put on then, as chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed were called in one body." And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So let's pray once more as we uh, approach God's word. Uh, Lord, I ask uh, just tonight that as we uh, open your word, open Colossians once again, that that the, the truths and the realities that Paul was speaking through and the, uh, the, the instruction that he gave this church, God, I pray that as we examine it, as we try and apply this to ourselves, God, I pray that you uh, would be glorified, that our hearts would be changed, and that renewal would take place in our souls, Lord. I pray that we would see the difference between serving what is earthly within us and serving what is supreme in us, which is Jesus, Lord, we love you. Uh, please uh, be merciful tonight as we, as we try and learn. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so uh, the opening to our text, as we discussed last week, is intimately connected to what we discussed last week. And um, so I want to start real quick, go back to, going back to God's word. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4. All right. Um, there's an assumption made here for what we're going to look at tonight. All right. There's an assumption made by Paul in verses one through four that that makes what we're going to read tonight true of us. All right. And so, verse one through four: If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you will also appear with him in glory so if you are raised in christ then what we're reading tonight is true if christ is your life then what we're reading tonight is true so the rest of what we're going to read tonight assumes the gospel's in place it assumes that there's a regenerate saving faith in the christian all the instructions that paul's going to give all the truths he's going to communicate all of it assumes salvation on the part of the reader all and on the people the people reading it. It's not an individual, it's a people reading this text, all right? Um, and as we said last week, this is important for us because what's the point of Christian morality without Christ, right? We talked about what, it's a Band-Aid on a brain tumor, right? It might stop some bleeding, it might save us some pain and suffering, but the reality is there is a deeper, more profound problem than just morality. And so um, as we're reading this tonight, we're reading well, we're going we're to read a lot of moral implications of the gospel. And so to understand what that's going to mean for us, Christ has to be in place, right? Um, so yeah, it assumes salvation. It assumes the reader has a genuine affection for the glory of God and a genuine faith in the Lord Jesus. Um, so with that fixed in our minds, our, we're gonna, we're, our text is going to separate into two, two sections. And that first section is going to be the harm of self-identity. The harm of self-identity. We're going to read a lot tonight because I love this text. It's literally one of my favorites in the Bible. And so we're going to read it a lot. So go back with me, Colossians 3. We're going to read verses 5 through 9 this time. Put to death, if you've been raised with Christ, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Uh, This this isn't a a pretty picture, right? This this list of things. There's like two little lists in this big list. Like none of that is pretty, right? There's a lot of gross happening here. And... um, a lot of things that we ourselves as Christians, or even just as people generally, would think we want to avoid, we don't want to do, we, we, we want to try and uh, stay out of, right? And if we don't altogether avoid them, we want to try and avoid them, right? They're the things we don't want to get ourselves into. Um, none of us are like, you know what, I want to be an angry person, <laughs> Right? You're not like, I want to I wanna be jealous, right? I want to go home to, or I want to go back to my dorm after GCF and for the 800th time yell at my roommate for not cleaning up his clothes, right? No one wants to be that guy that's angry all the time, right? Um, and so when we're looking at this, um, we, can see, uh, we can see how harmful these things are and we can see the hurt that these things bring and we can see the harm that they bring to us and to others and none of us is like, I want that, right? Yet, I still get angry. Yet, I still get jealous. Yet, I'm still lustful, still malicious, still self-centered. Why is that? Why is it that we look at that list and see grows, and yet we walk away from large group, we walk away from church, and we have that interaction with our roommate? Why is it we can look at lust and and we can see, I'm going to keep that away from my heart, away from my mind, yet two days later, find ourselves consumed by it? What's happening there? Well, let's look at what Paul calls this. Look back at verse five. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly within you. Right? If, if we're going to identify what that earthly thing is, let's, let's look back to Colossians 3, uh, 1 through 4 again. Um, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek things that are above where Christ is seated. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died to those things on earth. And we're going to look back up at verse 20, which is not going to be on the screen. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why do you live as if you were still alive in the world? The things that Paul's talking about here, all this huge list is what is earthly within you. Um, What Paul's saying is seek the things that are above because this list of earthly things is not you anymore. That was you, That was the previous you, but the previous you died, right? The previous you died and Christ raised you. And so what Paul is saying is that all of that list, it doesn't define you anymore. That list of evil does not define who you are anymore. That previous you, the unregenerate without Christ you, that absolutely defined you, but it no longer does. At one point, those things defined who you were before God, but they no longer do. But they did, right? Look at verse six and seven. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. If you've been around GCF for a minute and you've had like, you've had like one discipleship meeting, you've heard us talk about the greatest problem, right? Like what, what's our greatest problem? Separated from God. Our greatest problem is separation from God and the greatest issue in our life is separation from God and reconciliation to him. And so this list of things is literally what made up who we were before God without Christ. Part of grasping the reality of who we are now is grasping the reality of who we were without Christ. We were utterly and entirely and unconditionally defined by that list of things, of evil, of the things we look at and say gross. What Paul's not trying to do here, though, is shock us with our sin. What he's doing is he's pleading with this church, right? He is, he's pleading with the Colossian church because he sees all of this sin that's manifesting itself in their lives, and he's saying, Why? Man, you've been raised with Christ. You've been, that, that, that's, you're dead to that. That no longer defines you, so why still live in it? So then, again, I ask, what's happening here? What he's telling them is that it doesn't define them anymore, yet they're still living as if it did. It doesn't define them anymore, yet they're living as if it did. And again, they probably look at that list like we look at that list and say, ew, right, gross, I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to get into any of that, right? Um, they weren't holding on to their sin because they, they, they wanted to be angry and evil and immoral people. They held on to their sin by way of holding on to their identity without Christ. They were holding on to their sin by way, it was a means to hold on to their identity without Christ. Read Colossians 3, uh, 9 through 11 with me. Uh, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek nor Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave free, but Christ is all and in all. You see, often the struggle for the Christian is not to recognize what sin is. The struggle for Christians is to abandon those identity pieces, those identi- identity-shaping parts of who we are that cause us to sin. What I mean by that is underneath your, you always sin to get something, right? You always sin to get something. The a phrase from one of the pastors at our church. You're always sinning to get something. At, underneath your sin is a desire, a passion, a longing, a desire for something whether that's affirmation from other people, whether that's comfort in your life, whether that's personal fulfillment and satisfaction, that's what you sin to get. Comfort, satisfaction, fulfillment, approval. See, it's the difference between saying, I want to be sexually immoral, which no one would say, and just saying, I want intimacy and satisfaction. So then I sin by way of desiring intimacy and satisfaction. So I want you to think about when this list of gross things manifests manifests itself in your life, when it makes an appearance in your life, what does that look like? Again, to steal a phrase from one of our pastors, you never sin in a vacuum. You always sin to get something. See, anger makes an appearance when your sensibilities are offended. Jealousy and covetousness makes an appearance when you desire that affirmation that your classmate got for his hundred percent or whatever on an exam. That desire for comfort and the subsequent, um, uh, the comfort and the subsequent um, sexual morality that follows, that is the old self. That's what's earthly within you. It's what, the, it's, it's what this, Paul calls over and over again in this text, the old self. It's what's earthly within you. It's that piece of your identity, those longings, those desires, those affections that you sin to achieve. That This list makes its way into your life so that you can achieve. So what is it that you desire? What is it that you sin to get? What earthly part of your identity without Christ consumes your affections and your longings? What is it that you're holding on to that in your eyes makes you distinctly you? What is it that makes you unique and special and set apart? We like that idea, right? The idea of being unique, autonomous, set apart. The reality of what is unique in you is under the wrath of God. The reality of what's special about you is under the wrath of God. What's special about me is that I can invent dozens of ways to screw up in my life. What's unique about me is I can invent ways to rebel. I am dead without Christ. My identity, my personhood, who I am, the earthly part of me is dead without Christ. I am a leaf in the wind, in the wind, in the wind. I'm a leaf in the wind, blowing at the pleasure of my passions and my desires and my wants, fading, falling, eventually hitting the ground, stomped under a boot and washed down the drain. That is the earthly me, consumed and driven by my passion. The old self is temporary, it's fickle, it's fleeting, it's a man whose only hope is in himself and what he could accomplish. And often, to accomplish anything, as we just said, we sin. The means to accomplish our desires, our wants, our needs, is that list of things. So, I, I just want you to look at that list real quick. Um, if you could throw the whole thing up there, the first part. yeah. If you know, What do you notice about those, those sins? What do you notice about the, the grit and grime of those sins? Who does it affect? Yourself, to be sure. An angry heart's going to birth a cynical mind, and it's going to cause you to be frustrated and angry. Um, but this list of gross that Paul lists out here, it kind of has an outward focus, doesn't it? Like everything on there affects someone else. It's all stuff that makes its way, not just into your life, but into those around you. Remember, Paul's writing to a church here. He's writing to a group of people. A kind of jacked up church, right? He's writing to a people, not a person. And so yourself, myself, that old earthly self, isn't just bad for you. It is. But it's bad for those around you too. It's like a disease, right? You get a virus or some kind of illness that like affects, I, I'm not, I'm, I, I took AMP like eight years ago, so I remember nothing from any, any of this stuff, but you get a disease that like affects your, your, your immune system or something and it's going to manifest itself in various different ways in your life. Like a cold has a lot of symptoms, right? Like, like look at cancer, all right? Cancer like starts in one place, like malignant cancer. I, I looked this up, so I think this is true. But uh, it kind of breaks off and like through your bloodstream goes into other parts of your body, And so this one issue in your body is going to start to make its way into other parts of the body. That's what our sin does to the people around us. Your sin, my sin, our idolatry and misplaced worship is like a disease to those around us. The old self that we cling to affects all of those around us. It's not just a you issue. It's not just a Stephen issue. It's a weight issue. It's a church issue. It's not just for the individual Christian's benefit that Paul's writing all this. It's not, just, it's not just for that person, an individual's sanctification that Paul's writing this. It's for the church's sanctification. Perhaps seeing our sin and how it harms other people can help us take it for what it actually is. Rather than minimizing our sin or making an excuse for our anger that it was justified because for the hundredth time you asked your roommate to pick up. I was that roommate, by the way. Yeah, I I left my clothes in the laundry all the freaking time. Rather than making up a reason for why that's justified, we can see our sin for what it is, how it harms us and those around us. It's kind of funny. Like, you realize that everything we're talking about right now, like culturally, kind of flies in the face face of what's held as good right now and in in culture right now right like um like for example like you notice like the phrase nobody's perfect right that's something popular right in the past it's been used to be like uh i didn't clean my room uh mom yells at me oh nobody's perfect i'll get it next time right oh I, i i left my clothes in the in the dryer nobody's perfect i'll get it next time right but now actually that phrase is used to build our own identities, right? It's like uh, it, nobody's perfect is used to give defense for, for, for who we are and to helps define who we are. There's a, uh, uh, there's a quote by a, a famous pop star, and uh, this is what she says. Be happy with being you. Love your flaws. Own your quirks and know that you are just as perfect, interesting word there, You are just as perfect as anyone else, exactly as you are. Love your flaws. Love your selfishness and your pride and your arrogance. Love your lust. Love your lack of self-control. See, the great lie of individualism and autonomy is the deceived comfort of embracing your fallenness as that which makes you special. This is literally not the gospel. (laughs) That which makes you special has absolutely nothing to do with you. This twisted logic that we exist in, that our imperfections and flaws somehow make us special, kind of dulls what we call sin. And it kind of makes us take it a little less seriously. I mean, you may hear that quote and dismiss it, and the one who said it was Ariana Grande, by the way. <laughs> you might hear that quote and dismiss it as like the vapid musings of of uh, of an entitled pop star, which you're probably right. But the reality is, is that encapsulates a lot of what our culture calls good, which is autonomy, which is it's literally selfishness and pride. Yeah, think about it this way. To use another example that's been used a lot, um, as as we try and understand uh, culture's effect on how we perceive sin. Um, Look what's happening with sexuality in our culture, right? Like we are an over, over sexualized culture. And um, the more and more we become exposed to it, the more and more desensitized we come to identifying, wait, that's not okay. Like, uh, um, like look at nudity on Netflix is super normal. I tried watching a show called Altered Carbon and it was, li- it was like pornography. And it's how, it's like this a piece of art apparently You know, we watch Game of Thrones and we probably don't think twice about what it is we're really watching and consuming. You see, just like that idea, it's normal for us to get our sense of identity, our sense of worth, our sense of selfhood from what culture is propagating and a vapid superficial pop star. This superficial embrace of our brokenness is exactly the opposite of what Paul is calling this church to do. It is the brokenness and sin that so harms us. It is brokenness and sin that harms those around us. And rather than, rather than embracing what it is human in us, we should look at that fallen, broken vessel of sin and say, never again, I don't want that. Not, I use that to define myself. I don't want that. To be human means to be flawed, to be sure. Absolutely. But what a hopeless existence it must be where your idea of perfection, that was literally a word she used, where your idea of perfection is the deeply flawed, broken existence that we live in. You see, the harm of a self identity, the harm of self worth, is to deludedly embrace your brokenness and live as if you shape your own identity. To be human is to be flawed, but to be Christ's is to be redeemed. That is the fulcrum of Paul's argument here in this text. Your hope is not in yourself. Your hope is in Jesus. Because as we looked at last week, you are hidden with Christ because as we looked at last week, Christ is your life. You are no longer a slave to you. You are no longer in bondage to what it means to have your identity in yourself and what you can do and what you are capable of. You are freed from your earthly identity because Jesus defined you before God already. You are freed from your earthly identity because Jesus has already defined you before God. You are hidden in Christ. Read Colossians 9, or 3, 9 through 11 once more. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Um, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. The distinction between what shapes you and the person sitting next to you has nothing to do with what's different between you. It has nothing to do with what you are capable of or what that other person is capable of. Because you are hidden in Christ and that person is hidden in Christ. And as the end of that verse says, Christ is all and is in all. Your personhood comes not from what you are capable of but what Jesus has already accomplished. And your worth, then, is comes not from your job or your school or your career or whatever it is you're able to do in life. Your your worth comes from the worth of Christ, who is my life, as verse 4 says. This leads us right into the, the second half of our text tonight, which is the second point, the harmony of Jesus' identity. As we've said, we live in a world where perfection is defined by the individual and embracing yourself and your personhood is the highest good and the greatest value. However, the Christian is one who denies and dies to himself and whose greatest virtue is Christ and his perfections, not what I can do. The Christ follower embraces the beauty of a life that follows and worships Jesus as the only perfection. As verse 10 says, And having put on the new self, which is being renewed in the image of the one who created us. The one who created us is God. It's Christ. We are becoming more and more like Christ. That is the, that is the process of renewal and our sanctification, our growth. Renewal is our process to return to the beauty of the imago Dei, of the image of God. Our renewal, the renewal of the Christian is our growth to be more and more like Jesus. We put off the vices of our old selves because we are being conformed in the likeness of our new selves, which is Christ who is all and in all. You see, no longer are we slaves to those passions and those desires and those affections that lay beneath us and lay inside of us. No longer do I need to seek approval of my peers because no longer is my life defined by the approval of my peers. No longer do I need to seek uh, the intimacy that lust and sex offer because I'm no longer defined by my intimacy and my pleasure and my satisfaction. The renewal of the Christian is finding approval not in my peers, or approval not in my peers, but in Jesus whose verdict of approval was stamped in his blood at the cross. And as we've said earlier, we don't sin in a vacuum, right? All of this truth, none of it happens in a vacuum. We aren't renewed in one either. You don't sin in a vacuum and you aren't renewed in a vacuum either. See, my redemption wasn't only for my good. Your redemption isn't only for your good. Your redemption and my redemption is for my good, your good, and the good of the church. To the glory of God. This product of a renewal is not a person, but a people. And it's a people exemplified by the remainder of our text. 12 through 17. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So also you must forgive, and above all, excuse me, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Again, notice the horizontal effects of all of this good. Notice the horizontal effects of all that sin and now notice the horizontal one another effects of all of this good. See, all of this is going to contribute in one way or another to the worship and the good of those around you. Additionally, if you'll notice... Almost every single one of those requires you to be in community to put on. They require you to be amongst other people to do. In order to put on compassion and kindness, you need to have others to have empathy with and have compassion on. In order to be kind, you need to to have someone to be kind to. The follow through of a life and renewal happens in the context of other believers it happens in the context of the church isolation is not an option for you isolation is not an option for the christian part of that amago it's that's part of our imago day that's part of our image of god that we bear god himself exists in perfect community and so our renewal into the likeness of the one in which whose image we bear is renewal into that beautiful community A component of our renewal is a return to that perfect harmony, to use the word that our text uses. And this whole section right here, Paul gives us what it looks like, what a community defined by Christ and not themselves, what is earthly within them, looks like. In the first part, we see the destructive effects of a, a person defined by what is earthly within them in the second half we see the beauty and the good of what happens when a people are defined by christ practically what this looks like in your life is dying to your own desires your own self dying to your own preferences dying to your own desires and elevating the desires and preferences of those around you this means being kind to that roommate kind of a jerk this means compassion and empathy when someone is suffering you suffer with them means sharing your nachos at jakers so that other people can afford to eat their nachos it means lending someone your car even when it might be costly for you there's the the implications of this list go on and on and on and on there's one that I want to talk about specifically because I don't think we understand it real well, and that's forgiveness. What does it really mean, as our text says, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you? What does Christ's forgiveness look like? When you were at your most rebellious, most obstinate, most sinful... As a follower of Christ, what does God see? What did we talk about last week? If you're hidden in Christ, you're wearing the perfect, beautiful robes of Jesus. So, to use an arbitrary, lame example, this weekend we had men's retreat, right? Um, We were supposed to have horchata. And there's an individual in this room who was supposed to make our horchata. And this individual failed to make our horchata because he did not look hard enough for a blender, which we had, which he said we didn't. Actually, that's really two people. It's both Tyler and Alan, just for the record. But um, what what godly, Christ-like forgiveness looks like is forgiving Alan and Tyler, even when they're obstinate at the fact that it wasn't their fault. All right, so I'll use a real example. Uh, I heard this story once. And I don't know if this is true. I don't know if I read it. I don't know if I heard it. It was, it was years and years and years ago. But it is a beautiful, beautiful picture, and I, w- I want to just use it because it's beautiful. So if I'm stealing this from somebody, uh, I'm, I'm thieving it straight up. Um, there, there, there was uh, a husband and wife, and they were in marriage counseling, and they were in marriage counseling because the wife had been unfaithful to the husband. And... Um, This Christian couple, they went to a a Christian counselor or a pastor or someone, I don't remember exactly, but they went to get help for this huge sin that was present in their marriage. And to be sure, the wife was unfaithful, but as much as the wife was unfaithful, the husband was neglectful. And at some point in, in this counseling relationship, the husband began to see what it actually means to be hidden with Christ what it actually means that God forgave his sin. What it actually means that his, the depth of his depravity was redeemed. And so this man, I don't, I don't remember if this was in the counseling session or just outside of it, but he, he went and bought a white dress. And he went home and he asked his wife to put it on. And um, she walked out wondering what was up, so she put the dress on. And she walked out and her husband saw her And what her husband said was, I choose to see you as Christ sees you. That's beautiful. That's powerful. That's literally what it looks like that we're forgiven. It's not quite literally the gospel, but it's close. (laughs) See, a community defined by and shaped by the identity of Jesus is a community that looks upon its peers and sees men and women dressed in the white robes of Christ and can forgive any slight, can forgive any amount of horchata not made. (laughs) A community defined and shaped by the identity of Jesus is to be able to forgive the unforgivable. So this list here, this big list we have of, uh, of, of what it looks like to follow Jesus in community, in the context of the church, among your peers, it's a good place to start. It's not exhaustive, and it's a great place, but it's a great place to start. And I bet that if each and every one of us read that list again, we could identify dozens of places in our lives where that list looks more like the first list. So it's a good place to start. Um, I want us to read... um, Colossians 3.14. Above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Harm and harmony. First list harm. First list earthly. First list personal, autonomous, selfish, earthly identity. Second list harmony. Christ is all and in all. When Christ, who is your life, appears. If, therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, harmony. The old self, your old identity, that product of your own making, it's dead. And it can only produce harm for yourself and those around you. And whether that's eternal harm, or temporary harm, or both, all it can produce is death, harm, and destruction. true and lasting peace, true and lasting harmony is discovered in the depths of what it means to know the love of Jesus and reproduce that within the church. Harm is a product when we sin. As James 4 says, when your passions are at war within you, harmony happens when you lay your passions at the foot of the cross. Uh, I kind of want to close with this idea. Last weekend uh, at men's retreat, right, we read a book called Disciples- Discipling, right? Discipling or discipleship? Discipling. Discipling. And uh, it's by Mark Deaver, and we're reading this book, and y- all y'all ladies are going to read this book. And we're reading this book for a reason. We are passionate about discipleship at GCF. And so this idea of goodness within the church, this idea of a life lived in the identity of Christ looks a specific way, how does that happen in our lives? Let's read Colossians uh, 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. A good place to start in producing this in your life is discipleship. A good place to start in putting on that new self, the identity of Jesus, is discipleship. A unified identity in Christ is the peaceful, humble, selfless act of helping each other in that process of renewal to become more like Jesus. Our definition for discipleship here at GCF, it is helping each other follow Jesus in all of life through the gospel. Helping each other Follow Jesus, that part's actually right on the middle of the book that we're reading. Helping each other follow Jesus in all of life through the gospel. It's helping one another put to death that old self, that earthly self, and helping each other put on what is Christ. Practically, what this means, you gotta know people. You gotta get to know people. You gotta open up. You've got to spend some time with somebody and open your soul. To use the lamest phrase I've ever heard, you've got to unzip your heart. You've got to unzip your heart with another dude, with another lady. See, it doesn't happen in isolation. It happens within the church, and we want to help you with that. Um, you, you need to get to know someone that can help you follow Jesus. Tyler and myself and lesser to extent, Rachel, Holly, Dave and Caroline, Marshall, who's not here. We want to help you follow Jesus better. But in order to do that, you need to be willing to let your life be seen. This idea of discipleship is kind of, it's a manifestation of what it means that Christ is all and in all. Christ is in all of us and following Christ happens together. You are not an autonomous, self-sufficient creature. You were never created to be an autonomous and self-sufficient creature. The process of putting to death your old identity and being renewed in the beauty of the image of Jesus is most practically seen in discipleship here at GCF. We want to help you kill sin and grow in holiness, but we don't want to do this alone. We don't want it to be just the, the staff and the volunteer staff that's helping you do that. Our vision for what that looks like over the next couple of years is Jackson helping Alan follow Jesus. Is Alan helping Chris follow Jesus? We want students to help students follow Jesus in all of life through the gospel. This process of renewal happens within the church and it happens together. Uh, we want to have a culture where we gently point out sin in each other's lives and it doesn't deeply wound and offend us. We don't have a culture where we humbly submit to those observations that our friend made in our lives, where we actually examine it and not throw it off as some slight against us. See, this, this vision requires not individuals who submit themselves to the identity of Christ. It requires a people who submits itself to the identity of Christ whose lives are not ruled by the deadness of their old earthly self, but whose desires, passions, and emotions are driven by the gospel and driven by the beauty and glory and majesty of Jesus. It's driven by a people who read those verses when Christ, who is your life, appear, actually believe that Christ is their life when they read that verse that Christ is all and is in all, they actually believe that Christ is all and is in all. They actually believe that their worth is in Jesus, not themselves. Discipleship isn't the end of what it means to follow Jesus, but it's a good place to start for us. And just to kind of put a bow on all this, Uh, We've talked a lot about us tonight, right? We've talked a lot about uh, me and I and you. Um, We've talked a lot about what harms our flourishing, what gets in the way of relationships, what kind of causes conflicts, uh, what pain, sin brings, and our misplaced worship. Um, But the reality is, all of this, it isn't about us. It isn't about my flourishing or your flourishing or even our flourishing. It's about the glory of God and the fame of Jesus Christ. Read verse 17 with me. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It is all about Jesus. It is all about the glory of God. Your flourishing, my happiness, our joy, our satisfaction, our everything that is good in us, is a product, a glorious product, but a glorious byproduct of God's glory. Read John thirteen thirty five with me. Um, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If this list could be exemplified in a specific verse, it's that verse 14. It's above all, love one another. All of this is happening in the church, right? Love one another. But even our love for one another does not end at one another. Our love for one another points to a greater truth and that is Jesus. That is Christ and that is his gospel. Our love, our understanding of love, as we looked at on Valentine's Day, is birthed out of what we know and believe about the gospel. So I just want to ask... What is it about your old self that you are letting still define you? What is it you're still holding on to? See, one life, one life, your definition for yourself leads to death, leads to brokenness, leads to harm to those around you, The other is joy and peace and harmony. And that's a life lived to the glory of God. Let's pray.